Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis 35, and we'll be looking at verses 9 through 29. I think intuitively we as humans love good stories. I know I do. It's one of my favorite things about getting to know people in general is just to hear their stories. And one of my favorite kind of stories, though, that just makes me admire people all the more as I get to know them are especially their there and back again stories. And that can be a real life story or it can be you know, a good fantasy story, my little nod of the hat to our, our dear friend Tolkien. And, and so what we actually have here in our text today really is, is one of those stories. We have a there and back again story. And one of the reasons why I love those sorts of there and back again stories, especially this one in particular, is because simultaneously it's really doing two things. It's giving us a hope for the future But at the same time, it's also giving us a reality check for the present. Where we turn now, we see the end of Jacob's journey. And we've been through a lot with Jacob. We've watched him blow things up in an older sense, uh, metaphorically speaking. And we've watched him scheme, and we've watched him in so many different ways ruin everything that he touches. And yet, and again, time after time, what we see from the beginning and what we see here now, and it applies also for us, is this one reality. The theme that runs through it all is we look to the Lord and we say, wow, great is thy faithfulness. We're about to take up and read, but before we do, let us ask for the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. Almighty God, the creator and sustainer of all things, who upholds your people by the power of your word, sustains us by it. Lord, this day, through the work of your word and through the work of your spirit, Feed your sheep. Give us now eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of our Lord from Genesis chapter 35, starting with verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him. A pillar of stone 
And he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. And when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor. She had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born with, to him in Paddan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is, Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. That is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading and the preaching of it. Throughout this whole story, even now as it concludes, the main theme that's run throughout is great is God's faithfulness. But where we see God's faithfulness really play out, especially as we conclude the story with Jacob, is first God's extraordinary faithfulness in ordinary ways. Look how it, it opens just in verse 9 and following. What's happened is, is Jacob has gone on a very long journey. He, he's been all around, and finally, here he is, he returns to Bethel. He's coming back into the land that the Lord had promised to Abraham and to Isaac, his father. He's coming home. And it paints this incredible picture of, of now he is, he's coming home, and what does the Lord do? The Lord blesses him, and the Lord reiterates his covenant once more. The faithfulness of God just being repeated over and over and over again, that God, in fact, will keep his promises. But it's interesting, even before we get there, uh, the Lord pauses, and the narrative pauses, and there's almost the, this uh, the settling to say, before we really get into the faithfulness of God, let us remember who we are. And, and so we hear something in verse 10 that we've already seen before. The Lord says to Jacob, your name's not Jacob anymore. Now you're Israel. We've actually already seen this. This has happened back in chapter 32. The, the, the Lord has spoken with him as he wrestles with him. And at the very end, he, he, you're now Israel. 
but, but here there's actually something going on, really. In, in 32, it's, it's more he's talking to the person, but now there's, there's something else. There's, there's a, a, an additive to it. He, he's not just talking to this person now in, in this way, but he's, he's really saying, you're going to be the father of a nation, Israel. Imagine uh, being where this story is first told and where it's written down, Moses sitting in the wilderness with the nation of Israel. What Moses is doing as he's preaching this to him and writing it down, what's going on is he's proclaiming to them to say, hear God's faithfulness to his people. Notice how this has gone about. With Jacob or Israel, the person, it's not because of his scheming that he ends up back in the promised land. It's because of God's faithfulness. And Moses is reiterating through story a little bit more to say, the Lord has brought us out of slavery, not because we're powerful, we're not. And it's not because of our scheming, because that's no good. It's because of his faithfulness. And you can even imagine, he's saying this to a people who's grumbling the entire time. Oh, it was so much better back in slavery. Things were so good being enslaved. We had garlic and onions. Yes, we, you know, had to work really hard and sometimes make, you know, one of the great wonders of the ancient world with, you know, primitive tools and half the time not even straw to make good bricks. But, oh, the garlic. And here Moses is saying, you, you've completely missed this. Like, you're worried about the wilderness and are willing to go back into slavery. Why? Because you've forgotten that God's faithful. You're, you're in this space where you can't quite see the promised land yet. You're wandering in the wilderness and you're ready to go back to slavery. Why? Because you don't believe God's faithful. So much of the time, that's, that's our tendency too, isn't it? I'd rather go back into slavery because at least I know slavery's safe. But what's up ahead, I don't know. It's out of my control. It's out of my hands. Brothers and sisters, don't forget that God is faithful. But one of the things we really could ask, and Jacob could ask, or the nation of Israel could ask as they're wandering in the wilderness, is, is how could they possibly believe that reality? I mean, yes, God has done faithful things before in the past, they could say, but how could we really trust his faithfulness? That's where the, the second reminder really comes into play here. After reiterating who Jacob is, he's no longer Jacob, he's now Israel, the Lord pauses. And he says to him in verse 11, I am God Almighty. Uh, if you're familiar with the Amy Grant tune, El Shaddai, um, don't let that ruin where we're going with this. Uh, he reiterates the reality of who this God is. How can we possibly trust that God will be faithful? The Lord reiterates and tells us who he is. I'm God Almighty. Tied up with, with this 
this naming or, or even in some sense this title uh, of who the Lord is is, is really this. What's, what's pointing out is to say that this is the self-existent God. He needs nothing. He is totally something different from the creation. There are two categories in the world. There's the creator and there's the creation. The creator doesn't need anything. He's sustained by himself. The creation is fully and completely dependent on its creator. That's this God. He's the self-existent, covenant-keeping creator and sustainer of all things. How can they trust that God will be faithful? Because he's the self-existent God. He's the God who alone is able to keep his covenant to the fullness He is the God who alone is not only able to create, but also able to sustain. Many of us ponder with great anxiousness questions like, how will the church survive in a post-Christian age? Or maybe maybe also, you know, how, how will our children keep the faith in a world that's increasingly hostile to the faith that they've been reared in. Or maybe even more personally and individually, how can I possibly endure this terminal diagnosis I've been given? Brothers and sisters, remember that the Almighty is more faithful than we could possibly imagine ever dream or ever hope he's a faithful god but but one of the questions that we really could even ask kind of following up with that is how is he faithful what what are the means by which that he he undergoes his, his faithfulness and demonstrates this reality well sometimes the lord will demonstrate his faithfulness through very extraordinary means Things like splitting the Red Sea, that's a pretty extraordinary means, where I'm going to deliver you from one of the great warrior nations in the ancient world, uh, and here you are, you've got a bunch of uh, of, sheep and goats and cattle and um, small children and, uh, you know, older elderly folks, and and you're going to do it without any sort uh, of, uh, you know, defense mechanism, and and you're going to go through... I see, and I'm going to split it for you. Or, you know, even as they wander in the wilderness, um, how are we going to survive this huge mass of people in a desert? There's nothing out here. It makes water come out of a rock. It makes bread fall from heaven. These are extraordinary ways. But, but sometimes, and I think even more often than not, the Lord demonstrates and brings about his faithfulness in very, very ordinary ways. He, he shows us his ordinary, great faithfulness. And we actually see this in, in verses uh, 22 through 26. He, he opens up, and, and there's, this, there's this subtle echo. The people in Israel would have heard this. Uh, hear the, faithful, the ordinary but great faithfulness of God, the end of verse 22. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. Did you catch it? See what's happened. In a very, very ordinary way, the Lord is keeping his promises as it unfolds before them. 
a, a, a very, very old man and a very, very old lady, his wife, uh, weren't able to have children, and they had a son, and the Lord made a promise that they would, uh, and that from them would come this multitude of people that numbered uh, greater than the stars of heaven or, or the sands of the sea. And so this old man has a son, and, and that son has another son, and that son has 12 sons, and, and those 12 sons become more numerous than the stars of heaven. A whole nation. It took over 400 years, and they were enslaved in the process. But see the process and the way, the ordinary way, in which God was faithful to his people. In the moment, they're standing there, probably in that wilderness, looking at this whole multitude of people, and they're going, wow, we started so small. There were just 12 of us. And could you imagine being Jacob going, how are these 12 going to become multitude? And yet behold the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. This is the journey of the Christian life, isn't it? Maybe you, you find yourselves waging war against the flesh. And so often you probably feel like you're, you're fighting against Sin and the flesh, and they're fighting with AK-47s, and you're fighting with a Red Rider BB gun. And if the Lord shall bless it, maybe you'll be able to shoot out its eye. It's a good twist if somebody wanted to do it on an imprecatory psalm. Kick out their teeth, O Lord, and knock out their eye with my Red Rider BB gun. But yet here we stand fighting against sin. And probably where you stand right now, you look and say, how could I possibly defeat sin? How could I ever get there? But oh, weary saint, one day, one day, you'll stand before your beloved Jesus glorified. The war will be over, and you'll have but one thing to say. Great is thy faithfulness. But one thing you can bet is that it'll be a great journey, but it will not be an easy one, which is really what we see next. Really, the, the second kind of category or heading here is God's faithfulness in the midst of pain. Just picking up verse 16, Rachel's death. You know, here Jacob is, right? It, it, one of the, the great and yet strange love stories of the Bible, Jacob and Rachel. Uh, it, it, perseverance, uh, a, a, a love that's willing to endure uh, deception and harsh work and patiently wait. That's this picture. He's, it, it, it's a great love story. And yet here she is, and she dies. If that's the end of the story, that's a really sad story. Boy falls in love with girl, spends a really, really long time trying to win her father's approval, finally is deceived, so he has to go a little bit further. Finally, they get married, and things are pretty happy. Kids come along, Lord's faithful, finally make it home, and she dies. Roll credits. 
But there's something else here, something far more than that. I mean, yes, she has a, a son, and that's a beautiful thing, and, and you know, she names it Benoni, which, uh, you know, son of my sorrow, and he names it son of my right hand. But there's actually something else going on here, and it's very subtle, and, and that's this theme of, of pillars. In this section, it gets to the very end, and, and she dies, and, and Jacob sets up a pillar over her tomb. And there's, a, there's an echo uh, back in verse 14, where, where he's seen the, the face of God and the Lord has blessed him and the Lord has reiterated his promises to him. And so what does he do? He sets up a pillar. Very different scenarios. Different situations for, for pillars. In, in one, there's this overwhelming joy that God has brought you home and has been with you in this place and has blessed you and has confirmed once more his promises. Oh, the joy. And then a few short verses later, the love of your life dies. So what's the natural conclusion? Raise a pillar. That's almost perplexing, and if you really kind of hold them up, what's the relationship between the two pillars? But there is a relationship um, on the one sense that, that there's this joy that comes from, from God's presence, uh, but there's also sadness in this life. But in both of those situations, whether it's joy in the presence of God or sadness and loss running through both of them, it points to God's faithfulness. Calvin brings this out for us incredibly well. He says this, Concerning this passage, the statue or the monument erected by him signified the same thing in both, verse 14 and here. He reared no citadel which might stand as a token of his glory among his posterity, but he took care to raise the memorial of a sepulcher which might be a witness to all eyes that he was more devoted to the life to come and to, and to the providence of God, this remains standing until the time of the Exodus. In both situations, what is he doing? In the presence before God, he says, the Lord has been with me, and the glory of the life to come is he'll always be with me. And in the loss of his beloved wife, he does the same thing. Though I've lost her here, it will not remain that way. She, like Lazarus, but forevermore, will rise from the grave. She'll dwell with me there. Why? Because great is God's faithfulness. But, but secondly, in, in a very awkward, kind of offhanded way, he moves directly from that passage, and then in verse 22, in a very short way, just casually rolls by it. And while they lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now, he had 12 sons. It, it, it's uh, it, the, the awkward... Uh, update at the family dinner table at Thanksgiving that nobody really wants to hear. And Moses includes it, and there could be a number of reasons why this goes on, um, but one thing we do know is it's, it's calculated. 
It could be that uh, Reuben is seeking to establish Leah's place. Rachel, the beloved's dead. Who's next in line? Maybe Rachel's servant, Bilhah. So if I defile her, my mom gets the favored standing. Or maybe even, you know, more uh, corrupted, um, he, he does this as a manner uh, of seeking to usurp his very father's headship over the family. Well, dad's weak. And I want to lead this family. So I'll take his concubine. Either way, what's going on here and what should do, even in this passing setting, it, it should ring an alarm in our head. It looks like if this is going to follow through, the whole plans are going to be derailed. The firstborn's supposed to get the promises. And now it looks like he's, he's going to get the promises because he does something absolutely egregious. Has the promises, uh, uh, have the promises of God been undone? Has Reuben just ruined everything? It looks like the whole plan for Jacob to, to be the head of this nation has been undone by a wayward child. Until you actually find out that it's part of the Lord's plan all along. In Reuben losing his place as the firstborn, Simeon and Levi have just pretty much lost theirs. The promises, as you see at the very end of the book of Genesis, go to Judah. And from Judah comes the king, the redeemer, who can even redeem Reuben and Simeon and Levi. It looks like the plans are derailed until you find the Lord's railing. Maybe you're in that same spot today. It derailed utterly by a wayward child. But the railing of God is always faithful. One thing you can bank on is that the Lord is working together for your good and for the good of that child and for his glory. Because he's always faithful. But then finally, we look to the, the death of Isaac itself in, in verses 27 through 29. And there's this almost sentimentalness to it. Uh, you know, the, the two warring brothers who have fought for so long and just recently been reconciled, here they are, they're at their, their grandfather's death, and he's gathered to his people, old and full of days, and they bury him together, arm in arm, as brothers should. Oh, sweet. But there's actually something greater going on here. While, yes, it's the conclusion uh, of Isaac, this is also, in some sense, the conclusion of Je uh, Jacob's story. And what's actually been done it, is Jacob has really come full circle. It's here that, that he stands with his father, and you see, if you've kept with the story, you see the fact that God has completely fulfilled his promises to Jacob. All the way back at the very beginning in chapter 28, 
Jacob asks for this one thing. Lord, watch over me as I sojourn and return me to my father's house. The Lord's watched over him during his sojourning. And the Lord has returned him to his father's house. This is the journey that we all face. We sojourn in this life. We're pilgrims. But we sojourn with this prayer on our lips. Father, be with me in my sojourning until you bring me home to your house, kept for me by Christ. For great is your faithfulness. Let us go to him now in prayer. O oh Lord, great is thy faithfulness. Lord, we as sojourners wonder in the wilderness of this life. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with us in our sojourning and that we would, you would return us to our home which is kept for us by Christ, along with our inheritance. But Lord, in the meantime, commune with your people. Feed our souls. Give us a foretaste of home here at this table. Now, oh Lord, may we feast with our beloved and may he feast with us today, for great is his faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.